Welcome to episode 558 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 558 of I'm Talk of Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm bloody good, Bevan. Bloody good. I reckon John is bloody good because he feels like he's in the 90s again. It is. It's Nirvana's big. Oasis is big. Oh, Jurassic Park was big. You know, the triathlon is back. It is. It's good to have it back in the way that it was at the weekend. So we will talk about that more in a moment. Okay, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Athletics.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And I'm picking a few of those guys who did Super League at the weekend would have been uh, benefiting from a bit of that if they'd been on it. And our patrons. And uh, what do you got here? These guys today have been with us for a long term since before patronage even started. So back in the old days, before we had the patronage method, we just said, if you want to support the show, which 20 people did, (laughs) let's be honest. And these were some of these people. So name, name, you go first, John. Richard, the Prince of Darkness, Osborne. Nadine Flower, Power Voice. And she apparently made it onto the Iron Man New Zealand coverage. Uh, she was up there supporting and all her pink gear. And apparently she was on the TV coverage. Nice. So well done, Flower Power. Go Flower Power. And then... Uh, Sean the Big Dipper Bonzel. Yeah, what's that name there, John? Because I'm not quite sure. Is it... Leonard's The Gifted Artist Monterio. Oh, uh, no. So no there. Okay, guys, this, today's show is going to be a little bit different. We're going to have news. And then John's disappearing for age group of the week. And then he's doing an interview for Darren with Darren. Who's Darren? Tell me about Darren. Darren is an age group athlete from Australia who quickly moved up from being not having any sporting, real sporting background, getting into the sport, starting in the beginner programs in Australia. And then within a couple of years, he qualified for Ironman Australia. So a good story on hard work and uh, of course some natural talent but mainly hard work and how quickly you can get to the top if you apply yourself so some good tips in there for you guys and then John disappears again and I do wanger of the week and questions and doubts at the end because John what do you got on tomorrow? Tomorrow I've got the Canterbury secondary school high school triathlon champs I'm organising so today's Monday we normally record on Tuesday but this race is on Tuesday and I've got to make sure that I deliver for all the youth of Christchurch you are bringing up the next gen John okay John news and there's one event that definitely was pretty big now we are going to talk results at some stage in this so if you haven't watched it we'll tell you when and we'll give you a bit of a spoiler alert so we can say look pause and maybe come back in seven or eight minutes from now um, but John, Super League happened. You've put here, they hyped it. We hyped it. They delivered. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, so one thing that we've got to say is we, we've talked a lot about the, the Formula One back in, in the, the, the day in Australia in the, the 90s. And so what they're doing here, and, and I remember Brett Sutton made this point in an article I read recently, it's not new, it's tweaked. But I'm not trying to take anything away from them. They did an amazing job at the weekend, you know. So Maka is obviously the the guy that's really instigated that, this, you know, and he went out there. He's got the funding, and that's that's step number one. You go, I've got to find someone who's going to help fund this. Step two is you go to a production company and you say, that's what we did in the 90s, and I want to replicate that, and obviously up it a little bit, tick that one, and uh, and then got the 
worldwide distribution. I know a lot of, uh, not a lot, a, a number of people were unable to watch it live um, because it was on pay TV in a lot of countries and some people went onto the website and there was a few spoilers there in terms of knowing the results. But in terms of the production, it was awesome. Well, John, I didn't watch any of it live, but mm. they had it on YouTube within hours of it being live because each night it just didn't work for me. I was kind of working each night. And so I didn't see it live, but I woke up in the morning. I made sure I didn't check my emails because they do the PR releases to us. And on the third day, it was pretty obvious what was going to happen anyway. So I saw who'd won the overall thing on the third day. But really, YouTube, as long as you could avoid what was happening, you could watch the full coverage that they'd had on TV on YouTube pretty much five hours after the race. And it's, and it's up there. So if you guys yeah. want to see the coverage, again, we, we all, I, I didn't want to talk about the results. Yeah. Bevan overruled me. Um, but you can go up there and watch it on YouTube. Just a couple of things in terms of how this is different to, to Formula One as it was in the 90s. The first thing, back in the 90s, it was very much an Australian field with the, a very token overseas person you had. Occasionally Hamish Carter, occasionally um, Spencer Smith, I think, did it. Maybe Cameron Brown might have, but there was only one or two. But the Aussies were so strong that they were able to make it work because they had so many good guys. Um, the other difference that I sort of noticed this weekend, we're going to talk about the results in a moment, is there was quite a bit of variation. So we had one guy that did dominate at the weekend, but there was quite a bit of variation on who was in the top five. And my recollections, and I could be wrong here, of the F1, it was usually sort of one or two guys that usually dominated. It did change oh, really? around a bit, but um, but you still, it was very competitive. But when you're watching the races at the weekend, you didn't really know who was going to win each one. It was it was it was really cool. Uh, obviously, they've improved the technology a little bit from from the nineties. You know, in terms of the the overall production and the crispness, oh, the crispness of it. Awesome, yeah. But it was very very good back in the nineties. So, um, and then the other big difference is, I don't recall them doing more than one day of racing back in in the old Formula One. They did similar formats to what they did here, but they did say one day, and that was it. What is the same, except for Brownlee, is back then they all had the same uniforms, all had their na numbers, uh, names all over them, and I did like what they did this time around with uh, with the numbers. And I've I've got to say, I reckon it was Karma that came and bit Alistair Brownlee on the butt because everybody else at that Super League was wearing the Super League uniform, looking the part. Except for the they, they had a white uniform for the up-and-comers, didn't they? So they had yellow for pretty much everyone. And then the, kind of the young guys, the up-and-comers, they had a white uniform. So everyone was wearing yellow. I didn't actually see Brownlee. What was he wearing? So no, this was more in the, all the pre-interview stuff. Oh, they okay. had like um, Super League polo tops on. They all had their sponsors' caps on and yep. stuff. But Brownlee was there in a, in a white Adidas T-shirt and he had clearly said, you know, I'm not wearing your kit, which I thought was a bit off because, you know, they made a huge effort to get this off the ground if there was a conflicting sponsor you'd go sure i'm not there's no way i'm going to wear your stuff if there's a conflicting sponsor mm. i'd totally get that but um i thought he looked like a bit of a douche by wearing his uh just an adidas t-shirt when everybody else was consistent in the same uniforms so that was really disappointing and i'm sure they paid a lot to get him there so i'm sure his appearance fees wouldn't have been cheap so yeah so i was i was really disappointed to see that um because in the same uniforms, they still had their sponsors on the uniform. So, mm. you know, if you like, um, let's just say you use Blue 70, you could have Blue 70 on the uniform, even though it was a universal uniform. They did have different sponsors for different athletes. And so they had, the good thing with that is they had, they had a couple of sponsors on there that were the event sponsors, but they were ones that weren't going to really clash no. with other people's sponsors. They were like Hamilton Island and yeah. there was something else on there. So, so that was cool. So I, I sort of put down here why was it a why was it a really big success? Um, the key is they had a really strong field, and this sort of format wouldn't work 
if you didn't have a really, really strong field. Even at this standard, you know, guys are awesome athletes. You know, guys like Terenzo and some of the long course guys, they were, they were getting popped big time. Yeah, they got shown up, didn't they? But the course was such that, you know, it's a one-kilometer one course on the bike and uh, it was a 500-meter loop on the run. If you're not, If you are not truly world-class, you are going to get lapped and there's no points. So they couldn't really have more many athletes than what they did have. So I thought that was awesome. And one thing that I really liked is you got, kind of got to know the athletes a lot better. When you're watching an ITU race, it's all talking about Brownlee and um, Gomez and, and the top few. In this one, the commentary team did a fantastic job and there was lots of changes of lead. And you kind of, I felt that I knew all the athletes by the time that we were I we agree. Were and and like, you have an insight into the sport, John. I haven't watched a triathlon race, ITU race, in a long, long time. And other than the Olympics and maybe one race every ever so often. And yeah, by the end of it, A, because of the way they kind of, they, dressed them so that really helped as well but yeah the, the the way the race worked it was really dynamic and lots of guys were kind of in the game and so and as you say the commentators did a great job as well so it was yeah it was pretty awesome mm. and the, the varied race format so we talked about that last week you know some races finished with a run you didn't have any finishing with a bike but you did have the individual bike time trial up a hill so that really highlighted the best cyclists you had um races that finished with a swim and the swimmers did actually come through and and win that race which was fantastic so you had a varied bunch of winners it wasn't always the same thing and uh i think for me and i think i'm sure a lot of people it made you realize how good the guys on the itu circuit that are ranked between say five and 20 that you often don't see they're sort of lurking in the background, but they showed in these races what an amazing turn of speed that they've got and how good they are. And they're just not at this stage really awesome over 10K, but put them over a couple of K. And man, some of those dudes were pretty awesome. It was so, interesting. Did you hear the interview of Moller at the end? And you're saying the racing was hard, don't get me wrong, but it was the, the gap in between the races. You see, literally 10 minutes just felt like a blink. And, mm. you know, you're just turning around and going again. He said that was, you know, almost the hardest part of the whole thing. And what the you know what how sport appeals is when you see athletes suffering and often you know often in Olympic and long course it's a slow suffering and you don't really see you know you see guys exploding and stuff but in this one you could just on the day three and in the third race of day one you could just see the guys absolutely yeah. in a world of hurt and it was really highlighting any issues they might have so uh it was, and, and the course that, that by course was awesome wasn't it it was you know it was a good honest and although most of the roads were pretty bunch righty um it was still a good you know they were on the river weren't they mm, so it was it was great so um but the only downside for me was because it was in a very isolated uh, location. It was in Hamilton Island, which is in the Great Barrier Reef, and not many people live there. It's a gazillionaire's uh, sort of playground. Uh, there wasn't many spectators, but that was to be expected. Um, so that would be the one thing is, uh, you know, that was probably the only thing that I've really got, but, as, got as a negative. But in saying that, you know, like to get these kind of events, like I'm sure Hamilton Island paid a lot of money to have this event there because it's basically advertising for them as well, isn't it? So mm. that's going to be the way maybe with that and because it is a TV sport. But yeah, it would be nice to get more spectators there. Um, just, it was also nice, you know, you could tell Mecca was involved because Mecca is such a kind of love, lover of triathlon and, and uh it was really cool just some of the little nods like having Spencer Smith and some of the guys starting races and stuff like that. You know, it's just kind of real cool nods to the sport in it as well. Just had a text message in from Dave Dwan saying, stop the press. Just seen the Iron, Iron Man New Zealand highlights package and Thor has made it on there in his IM Talk race kit. Oh, I love your work, Thor. 
<laughs> love it love it uh, now right back to back to the super league so what's the future of this i don't know i don't know if anybody does but uh what they did drop hints it did drop hints but what i like about it is i think this would be relatively easy to set up in loads of different locations worldwide because this is one of the problems you know why don't we have the race in auckland anymore we have the 70.3 um because it stuffs up traffic traffic management and all that with this they had a one kilometre circuit on the bike and a 500 metre circuit on the run. You could, you know, any major city, you could probably do that relatively easy uh, as a real amazing downtown course. You imagine doing this yeah. in downtown Auckland yeah. uh, with or just Wellington one little short or, lap. Yeah. Wellington, it'd be awesome. Yeah. So I think it's really transferable across a number of locations. And if you tied it into an, you know, an age group triathlon, then you just get ginormous crowds all the way around the course. It would be electric. It'd be awesome. So that would be a hope for me. Uh, where is it going to fit into the season? You know, is this going to be something that is becomes a norm or is it something that you do like now at the beginning of the season and maybe you have one in the middle of the season and one at the end of the season where's it sort of going to fit in because all these athletes you know they're itu athletes they've got lots of other commitments and yes the money is good but ultimately these guys have to get to the olympics as well uh so they're going to be very tied into the itu circuit so that's a big question is, is unknown is is it going to be a, a regular thing uh and yeah or whether it's just a one-off thing here and there like it was last weekend and of course everybody says you know when's that when's the females coming and they've indicated that uh that's a that's a high priority for them so lots of unanswered questions but from a kickoff first kickoff geez i i, I really struggle to fault them so the only two questions i have is how could it work you know because how many races do you think if i to use a part of those athletes world how many races do you think that they could actually get in a calendar? Where, because as you say, you believe that the top guys, you need to get a pretty strong field. So, mm-hmm. to make, you know, to get the quality of what we saw last weekend back again, maybe four times a year, could that work? Well, I think it could, but I, I, we should try to get one of the athletes on the show and mm. see what sort of a toll that, that weekend's taken on them. You know, they're all, they're very, very fit. You know, we see Ironman athletes racing back to back. It's top when end. Profi- when you're a professional athlete, you recover a lot quicker. Three days of that back to back. I'm I'm thinking that's going to take a little bit of uh, time to recover from that. So I guess that's one key question. We hear about it in lots of other sports, you know, player welfare and all that sort of things. So, um, yeah, I think for it to be a part of the calendar, maybe you know, guys are going to have to sacrifice some races on the ITU circuit. But for me, I wouldn't want to see everything go like this. But if you had a now like this time of the year. A mid-season, and then maybe tack it on like the week after the the final round of the 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 World Triathlon Circuit. Then that would that would work for me. Three three rounds in a in a season would be awesome. Well, they definitely implied on the show when they're doing the interviews that there are going to be more of these, and there will be females, and there will be age group races in as well. So there was definitely some hints at where they're trying to head with it. You know, they wouldn't have put this much money and time into it just to do a one-off race. So we can definitely see something coming in the future. How that happens, well, you know, time will tell. But let's just quickly talk about the race. So if you don't want to know the results, and we recommend if you haven't seen the race, you don't know anything about it, do go on YouTube, look up the Super League page, and they have all the races there, full coverage. It's really great. Um, so if you don't want to know that and you want to do that, push pause now. We'll, we'll keep this under. John, I'm going to say you've got six minutes. and So okay. come back in six minutes on the show starting now. So where you go, Jonbo. Show the results. 
Well, so Richard Richard Murray really ended up dominating the Jay-Z dojo. Off his running, eh? Yeah, he he was a weapon. So and and he and he played the game really well. He really set it up. And then on day three, it was really a case of just covering covering because it was a points based system. So in the final race in the final round, you know, he only had to finish was it seventh, seventh I think, yeah. um, out of ten. So it was a bit of a bit of a given. But you know, so Richard Murray was was the most impressive. I think I I, I called it on Facebook, Bevan, after. Uh, I think it was after in the second race on day two. I said, "Who's going to win this one?" And I said, "Richard Murray," and uh, and he did. And then he, from there on, he just carried on and just kept on crushing it. So, what about the young was, Australian guy? Yeah, Bert Whistle. So I talked about him a few weeks ago when we talked about the up and comers and uh, and mentioned him. You know, he had a really strong finish to last season, and man, so he won the final race and yeah. was attacking. Overall attacking all the bloody time and was very very impressive and it's so, sprint uh, eh? he took out Mulder big time the final race you thought he was gone for money I thought he was going to get third yeah. he looked like death and then he just wound it up and dropped Mulder and uh, and Murray so he was impressive so he had Richard Murray taking it out from Mario Mulder so Richard Murray had uh this is point score, 56 points. And then Mario Mulder had 49 and Jack Burt whistle with a strong um, last race uh took him up to third place. Richard Varga, he won one of the races um, when it was a swim finish, which was great to see him getting some some time. But he was very aggressive all the way through and showed that, you know, he can run pretty bloody fast. Uh, Gomez, you didn't see too much of him. He was just steady Eddie. You know, he got 13 points on day one, 14 points on day two, 13 points on day three. So just, you know, towards the front of the pack every day, but not uh, not off the front. Ryan Bailey was uh, was up and down. He was uh, had some great races and had some. I think he had a fall. Ryan Fisher he took a flyer off on the last uh, last race. Uh, tried to take it off on the bike, and that was a cool thing. You had you had guys going for it on the bike, and normally you go, this is not going to work. But when he took a flyer on that last race, I thought, geez, he's gonna he's gonna go okay here, and he did. He didn't win, but he uh, he had a higher place because he put in a really aggressive bike ride, and all the way down, you know, I just feel like I know these guys a lot better now. And uh, down towards the tail end, you know, unsurprisingly, the long distance d- dudes got smoked. The um, the the young fellas got fairly well beaten. Although Matt Hauser, the Aussie, he finished in thirteenth place, uh, and Alistair Brownlee, you know, didn't really show up uh, at all. He was uh, just sick and didn't didn't really uh play any part of the whole weekend it was a bit of a disappointment like fair enough not not giving him a hard time but it was a bit of a disappointment because it would have been cool to see how he would have gone on in this format <clears throat> yeah I, th- I think he would have been there or thereabouts but i don't think he would have been dominating the dojo mm. at all so mm. nah awesome stuff so check so it just, out guys just the only thing i would ask is could have they done the points points better? Because I was thinking the last day it would have been nice to have some points for the elimination races anyway. Because the problem in the last day was you kind of knew Richard Murray just had it, and he just although you know he raced and the rest of it, but it would have been nice that it, if you if you push really hard, even in those eliminator races, it got rid of the kind of the dead wood, but also there were points involved, so it made those last two races leading into the final race a bit more of a contest because it was pretty much once you knew you were safe, everyone kind of cruised home. And mm. and I thought maybe if they'd had some kind of point system in that last day, which meant that you could still have a chance of catching Murray up, you know, because Murray pretty much mm. went into the last day, had it wrapped up. So it would have been maybe just to call to add some points there that could have thrown a bit more of a mix into it. 
Well, you often see that in races as the final race, you know, at the Olympics is the points race, and I think it's double double points. Yeah. And, and you see that in the like the World Championship Series, you have uh, double points or points and a half in the last race. So you don't want to um, screw the guys who have put in a big effort on the on the first two days. But yeah, as you said, if you had points and a half on that race, so the winner would have got thirty points as opposed to twenty. Yeah. That would have changed it up a little bit. So you know, Jake Burkwistle would have uh, would have moved up to to second. He probably still wouldn't have been able to win it. But Richard Murray, you know. He won the first two days, so yeah, yeah. so he was uh, a deserving winner. He got himself into that position where God, he, he looked was strong too. And that second day in that race, and he was miles ahead, and he just looked like he was doing it easy, didn't he? Mm. Jeez, he was impressive. Um, mm. Okay, John, so that's, that's pretty much Super League covered for this moment. Don't know when we'll be talking about it again, but hopefully pretty soon. Other news, we had Ironman Len Kaui, and it's going to be adding a 70.3. Last year, they had 90, 944 in the full, so... Another race where we're seeing the seventeen point three come on, John. Yeah, not surprising. I think uh, you are asking, keep asking, is this going to be the norm? And I think any of these, you know, slightly smaller races that are a thousand or, or under, then uh, I think we're going to see it. Ironman New Zealand is normally about twelve hundred ish, and uh, we see it there. So I think anywhere that's uh, remotely struggling, look out for a seventy point three coming your way. Also coming up this weekend, we've got the Breca Wanaka. So this is one of these run. Swim races? I didn't really, you swim, wear, swim, run, swim, run, swim, run, swim, run all yeah, over can, the place. You can wear paddles. You wear paddles, you wear pool boys, you wear wetsuits, you, wear, you can tether between your, you and your partner. So we've had quite a big contingent here from Christchurch that have been training. It's been really interesting to see how this race pans out because there's some long, there's a long swim and there's one really long run, like I think it's 14 k's in your wetsuit and uh, and it's not a flat run. So I'm going to be intrigued to see how this one goes. In your uh, wetsuit? Yeah, because in, in the ones that you have in, you know, in Scandinavia, my understanding there is it's shortish distances between the two, and you just you're transitioning a lot more. Whereas with this one, you have got one very long swim, and you've got one very long run, and then the other ones are a bit shorter. But yeah, it could be potentially pretty cold down there. I'm not sure what the temperature of the lake is at the moment. Uh, so we're going to, need to get the mountain snail on next week. I think it is. It's either next week or the week after having the mountain snail on to tell us what it's all about. And uh, it's the first time it's happened in New Zealand. So lots of people from Christchurch going down. I know. John Ellis is heading down, Mountain Snail, Andrew Abercan, um, Brett Tingay, Matt Ingram, bunch of whole bunch of people going down. So good luck to you guys racing. Well, the, in the race, are running 42Ks and swimming 8Ks. So mm. fairly decent race. So we, yeah, we'll be talking about that next week on the show. Okay, John, last week I, I, I mentioned an email from a good listener of the show, good old Joe. Now, I've got Joe's last name. I should pull up Joe's last name while we're talking about this. But... Basically, he said, John, you can pull in a postcard to get into Ironman, to get one of the, go into the draw to win ton of, one of the 10 Kona slots available at the 70.3 in Kona. And you laughed it off, John. You, oh, you laughed it off, didn't you? I just thought, you funny old poms, you're saying these things in jest. So this is part of what the hell is going on. And this may um, even go to what the F is going on, isn't it, John? Oh, this is ridiculous. So I... One thing that bugs me about this part of the show is I do I am do seem to be ranting a bit more lately, and most of it is directed at Iron Man, and I feel bad about this because they do so much good stuff, but they shoot themselves in the foot, and this is another illustration of it. This is ridiculous. You're not going to believe it when you hear this. So my understanding initially was with Kona, the 70.3, there was 10 slots allocated to the race. If you enter... You're in that draw there. And I still think that's a poor idea anyway because it's just a marketing gimmick and they're giving away 10 slots. So I thought, silly idea. It's marketing, trying to get people into the race, but whatever. But wait, 
But wait, there's more. It's like I said, a Ginzu knives, Bevan. I'm getting, get get the, you, you don't give you knives right now, John. And it's Joseph Spragans who sent this through. So that's you can get in the draw by doing that by entering the cone of seventy point three. You are in the draw. Yep. Right. Listen. Fair, fair enough. This, Super, but fair enough. Silly, but fair enough. The second method of entry. Or everybody listening, you can do this. By mailing in a postcard measuring three inch, three and a half inches by five inch, make sure you don't get those dimensions wrong, requesting an entry into the drawing and legal statement of the entrance, full name, email address, phone number, date of birth, address, and primary residence. Send the postcards you mail to the 2017 Honu to Konu drawing entry. You send them to the World Triathlon Corporation in uh, Tampa, Florida, and then you are in the draw to win one of 10 slots. You do not have to enter the race. You have no advantage if you enter the race. You send in a postcard and you're in the draw. That, that definitely goes into what the hell files, John. That is weird. It's just I weird. I cannot believe it? it. It's just weird. It's, it's mental. <laughs> you know, it's just odd. Yeah. I, I cannot fathom what on earth they're thinking. And, and to not promote it. I mean, I, do you know what I think it is, John? It might be database collection. Yeah. But do you have to put your email address in there? Yeah, because it's got, once submitted, entries become sole proprietary of a sponsor or it's, there's an, uh, blah, 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 such entries will be, maybe it's database entry? That's the only thing I can but, think but of. You would think that everybody who's thinking about doing Ironman has probably done a 70.3. Most yeah, would have been. Yeah. Well, why else would they do it? It seems, it's if, just weird. It's odd. But hey, there's only there's not, not an extra ten slots for the girls. Okay, so if you want to go to no Kona, on the pier. if you want to go to <laughs> get those knives out, John. It's free, a free set of knives. Don't give them to John Newsom. Kills, we can't get you on. There's not enough slots. But hey, if you've got a postcard, come to our race. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a shocker. Someone from WTC, get in contact. We know we know some of you guys listen to us because you've told us in the past on the sly. Get in contact and tell us, justify why you're doing this because this is just, it's just weird. It is odd. Yeah. So thank you, Joe Spriggins, for sending it through and, and pulling John up for, for, he put you, I'm slightly offended that you thought I was joking. Anyone can have, and, and, and he obviously was just having a laugh that he was slightly offended. But oh. Joe, you're a legend for persisting with John's dismissive behavior towards your content. So anyway, guys, so if you know anything about why that happens, maybe flick us an email and we'll talk about that later. Anyway, we're going to, do you want to do sponsor or am I doing sponsor? You're doing the sponsors. Okay. I'm out of here. Okay, he's out of here. So that's pretty much John for the show. He's going to come back and do an interview later on. So John, good luck for your race tomorrow and I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you next week. Sponsor. And we're going to talk about athlinks.com right now. Athlinks.com is the place for you to store your athletic journey. And that's what we, the real value of athletics. I'm sorry, not athletics. Athlinks is that it's that you know, if you get into the habit of every time you do a race, you put your results aside, you go to athletes and you just put them in there, and then you just have this history of your athletic experience. And it's really interesting because I'm, I don't really see myself as an athlete nowadays. I really kind of just, I'm a fit guy who occasionally does a race, which is very occasional, if I'm going to be honest. But there was a period of my life where I was, you know, the full-on athlete. And going back now, and, and admittedly, I did not put all my results in Athlinks, but the great thing is they stored a lot of them anyway. But it's really cool back to just go sign into Athlinks and look at kind of the results I did in the past. And I'm actually thinking about doing the New York Marathon in 2018. And so I'm kind of starting my building block right now for that race right now. 
And in doing that, I kind of look back and see the times I used to be able to run a marathon on when I was younger, and I'm definitely not of that ability right now. I, hopefully by the time I qualify for New York, I'll be closer than what I am right now. But it's interesting as you look at what you were in the past and kind of think, wow, it's, you know, based on where I am right now, it's quite impressive to see what I was able to do in the past. And that's one of the really cool things. Like, uh, as a person, every night I write a journal. It's one of the things I've done since I've been 19. And every night I write a journal. One of the coolest things about having a journal is there's this kind of reflection that you get to do while you write the journal. But also, occasionally you'll go back and you'll read some of your old journals and you get these memories that you just never, you know, that you probably would have forgotten about unless you'd actually kept a record of them. And that's where Athlinks works for your athletic journey. There's so many races many of us do that kind of maybe aren't as important as our A races in our journey, but actually upon reflection moving on, when we think back on those races, there's some really cool memories in it. So if you can get into the habit of, of always putting those races in, when you get in your Athlinks account, then it will be something, you know, like my diary, like myself looking back on my own Athlinks account, will be something that in the long term you will never regret doing. So if you aren't on Athlinks, just go to athlinks.com. You've got a Facebook account, it's very easy to sign up. Uh, you can sign up in other ways as well, even if you don't have a Facebook account, and then just get into that habit of signing up or, or putting your race details in after every time you've done a race. So, athlinks.com, and also they've been a great supporter of our show. They've been around pretty much since I think episode like 50, so they've been with us for a long time. So, there we go, supportathlinks.com. So, next up, I'm just going to do a quick age grouper of the week, an age grouper, age grouper of the week. And this came from Richard Swanee Noah slash Speed Walker. And he just sent us an email saying, I want to nominate Dwayne Braithwaite because he got through to Kona this year on the Legacy Program. Well, he hopes he has. He got the email and is on the list and is waiting for his credit card to be debited. Now, Richard sent us a couple of weeks ago, so I'm pretty sure by now, Dwayne, you, you know if you are there. So first of all, he raced this year. Uh, that would be number 14 for him, but took the race as a training race to get to the Kona slot and not many people can say that they got put into hospital after an Ironman and got released to go home to the prize giving just to haul their fame of, to get their Hall of Fame slot before returning to hospital so so basically Dwayne obviously had a pretty hard day to go to hospital and then to go back and get his Hall of Fame spot to make sure he got his Kona slot he, he went from the hospital to the prize giving to make sure he got that and then went back to the hospital again which is pretty committed to getting that Kona slot but I tell you what if you're somebody who's got 14 Ironmen in the past just to get your Kona slot well not that he just did it to get his Kona slot but you're going to make the commitment to turn up to the race actually Richard sent through a really cool article that the Herald a big New Zealand newspaper did and he just got a few cool quotes in it that very much um, uh, Dwayne actually just said and first of all I guess if I could bottle it up, you know, just as Iron Man experience and sell it, you would be a very, very rich man. I have a pretty much had a tear in the eye every single time I finish. So that's what Braithwaite said. He also said, I have family and friends. Iron Man is a tough day, whether it's eight and a half hours for Cameron Brown or seven hours for the person who finishes last. Every single one of them in the middle gets the huge buzz when you cross the finish line. And he's just saying that he actually dedicated this race um, to his father who passed away before Christmas. He always thought I was crazy and said I should give up, but I have a stubborn side of me that won't listen to my father anyway, I suppose. I will look up to the top when I finish and say, I told you so to the old boy. This one will be a pretty special one. So this was written before the race and he actually managed to get there. And as Richard kind of alluded to in his email, he obviously had a pretty tough day at the office, but he got there and Dwayne, you are now going to Kona. And and 
I love this. To me, that's what legacy programs are all about. A guy who loves the sport, has been committed to the sport for a long time. Probably not of a speed that's ever going to get him to Kona, although his best time was about 11.40. So he's a bit of a legend in his own right. But you know what? This guy deserves to be in Kona. So Dwayne Braithwaite, you are our age grouper of the week. Okay, team. So John actually caught up with Darren Quanshaw, uh, I think last week actually, and he just jumped onto an interview. He said he's basically a, an Aussie age grouper who got fast and got to Kona and so just really especially with no sporting background so we thought we'd get him on the show to get some insight into what it takes for a guy like an age group who really wants to get to Kona with no sporting background so here it is Darren Quanshaw. Okay guys we had a uh, an email in from Carmen Bullen who sent it through to Bevan she was wondering if you and John might be interested in interviewing one of our Tri Club members I know you didn't get a chance to interview him prior to Kona on his debut last year but thought you might be interested prior to his Taupo event well Taupo was uh, the weekend before last um, but Darren Daz competed our club's tri, a tri sprint triathlon program uh, two years in a row then in less than a year of triathlon training completed the Shepparton uh, 2014 half and five hours and nine minutes then improved that time at the Shepparton the following year with a stunning 4.35 and then he his debut Ironman was in Melbourne in 2015 with a time of nine hours 54 followed that up with a Kona qualification in Cairns in 2016 and then uh, completed Kona last year as well so uh, I figured we'd get Darren on because we know a lot of you guys love hearing from all the pros and what have you but a lot of you you, you know you can can't necessarily relate to what they go through you've got part-time training and so on so Darren might be able to share a few insights into how he got there and, and what was a relatively short time so welcome along Darren thanks John and great to be on your own Bevan show and uh, before we start how are your legs after Ironman New Zealand you know this is coming out uh, to be two two or three weeks after the the um, the race but how have you, how have you pulled up yeah, pulled up well. I'm just enjoying a good uh, week of rest and recovery. And it was really quite unusual Sunday morning getting up and realising I wasn't going to go for a long run. So I had nice long breakfast and coffee with my family instead. Fantastic. Now, as I said in the intro there, you know, Carmen told us that you'd been um, involved in tries for sort of four or five years. But um, what was your what was your background prior to getting into triathlon? Yeah, Good question. I mean, in, in 2012, I was traveling overseas with my family and I really since high school, I'd hardly been engaged with sport much at all. And in fact, in high school, I, I didn't do much sport either. I was kind of felt like I was the left, right out player in football, picked last and so on. Um, never felt like I was much good at any sport, although I enjoyed a few different sports as a kid. But then uh, through my 20s and 30s, hardly engaged in any sport at all. Then in 2012, I thought I'd better, I'd, I'd like to do a bit of local sport. So I joined a local indoor cricket team with some friends. But then when I was traveling overseas with my family on a, a backpacking trip around Europe, I thought back on my indoor cricket time and I thought, well, actually, I'm not much good at it. Uh, I don't really enjoy it, except for hanging out with my friends. Yeah. And if I came back and said, I'm not going to be on the team anymore, they probably wouldn't miss me uh, <laughs> from the team. And I thought, I think I, and, and we were in Italy and I, my daughter Emily and I watched a marathon and I thought, you know what I'd love to do is to have a go at a triathlon and a marathon uh, next year. So I came back with that ambition and uh, that goal and joined my local uh, Hawthorne Triathlon Club for a tri triathlon course. 
uh, did a sprint triathlon and, and then did a marathon later in the year in 2013. So that was kind of the start of my love for endurance sport. So maybe just fill us in um, what sort of age bracket you're in and, and what you do for, for a nine to five and, and also um, where you're from. Well, I grew up in the Blue Mountains in nice. uh, New South Wales and moved to Melbourne uh, 20 years ago. And I'm, uh, for, I've just come into the 45 to 49 age group uh, in the last year. And through the week, I'm a local Baptist church pastor and a teacher. I juggle the two roles. Half, oh. half the week, I'm a pastor and half the week, I'm a teacher and researcher. Cool. So, so talk us through your progression to that first um, first Ironman. You know, you had a couple of halves under your belts, but, you know, what were your first experiences of triathlons? Did you did you make any, you know, monumental cock-ups or anything like that? Or was it was it pretty sort of plain sailing through to that first time in Melbourne? Yeah, it was a mixture of enjoying things and struggling with things and overcoming some things. I actually, the first tri- triathlon course I did led to that first sprint triathlon, although I must admit it felt misnamed to me because I didn't feel like I was sprinting around. I was just kind of struggling to get through the swim really without panicking too much um, and, 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 then, and then get around. Uh, and then I did the, the marathon later in 2013 and, and some other uh, shorter events in there. But I didn't feel like I was ready to make the progression to fuller training with the swim squad with the club. And so I just enrolled in another tri triathlon course because uh, I wasn't ready for the extra training that was involved in the, 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 the other squads. And so I did another tri triathlon course in 2014. And there I met with Andrew Howes, who then later became my coach. Mm. And he helped me get ready for Challenge Shepherd and later that year in 2014, I got a, a time trial bike, uh, joined in with another friend, Ben, and I got ready for Challenge Shepherd. And, and it was a journey of getting used to going long on the bike. And, and it was a challenge, probably the biggest challenge was overcoming my sense of panic in the swim. But for, at Challenge Shepherd, it seemed to come together for me, and I managed to uh, get around on the swim consistently, and I managed to not slow down on the bike, uh, and and managed to bring it home with the run. And I'd said to myself going into that event, I'd love to do an Ironman sometime. And some of my club friends talked about it being a lead up of a few years, and I thought maybe in a few years' time I'll be able to do that. And I said to myself going into Challenge Shepherd, and if I could maybe do this in uh, under five and a half hours, then I'll consider doing Ironman Melbourne the year after. Yeah. And when I came in at uh, 5.09, before I talked to my coach, he said to me, well, if you'd like to, that shows that you'd be ready to put in the training to get ready for Ironman next year. And and, and so I did, signed up and yeah. uh, led into it. Just talk us through, you know, a lot of people have that same issue that you talked about with um, with panic attacks and, and, and being very anxious going into the swim. So is there anything in particular you've done to try to rectify that or has it more been a case of just um, practicing and, and going out there and racing regularly? Yeah, there's a couple of, there is a few practical things I've done. One thing is I've made sure I've worn, worn my uh, race suit down around my waist so I feel a bit less constricted around my chest. Mm. Uh, it's important for me uh, to get some warm-up uh, before the, the race, and I've got a routine that I go through that includes 
uh, getting in the water, um, feeling the water with my hands, putting my head under the water and blowing bubbles and starting with a few slow breaststroke strokes just to get the feel of the water and and then doing some uh, a couple of 50-metre race pace efforts just to kind of get the anaerobic feeling going early on. Yeah. And I tell myself the water is my friend, you know, or the, or the ocean is my friend, and I tell myself that the other – uh, participants around me are, fr- my, are my friends too to kind of remind myself they're not there to you know not to knock me around or me knock them around but they're there to kind of support me and drag me along with their draft nice now just one other thing i'm interested in it sounds like you've got a great setup over there with your club in terms of the try try program maybe just talk us through that because i, I know there'd be a lot of um, other areas around the world that go that sounds that sounds great so what do they actually do with that program is it like a 10-week sort of boot camp to get you ready for a race or what's what's involved in that yeah it's a terrific six-week program and it involves basically a swim and a run and a ride each week uh, over the six weeks leading up to a sprint race or a mini triathlon. And some, one of the things that's helpful about it is it does gradually get people from a novice beginner to uh, being race ready in the six weeks' time. So it's a confidence-building experience. Uh, and, and I think one of the great things about it is it does put a cohort of people who are new to the sport together. So I think you know, some of the friendships that I've most appreciated since the ones that I've formed in those early uh, try try days as we've as some of us have stayed with the club and gone on to other races. Mm. Okay, well, m- moving on to your first Ironman um, in Melbourne. You know, you'd uh, you've improved a lot. You've uh, spanked out Challenge Shepparton, improving your time by about half an hour. Um, what were your expectations going into into Melbourne? And maybe just talk us through how the the race unfolded and and any particular challenges you had to overcome and whether you did overcome them. Melbourne feels like the race of my life and it was uh, an amazing day. I think your first Ironman, uh, others have said to me, no other races are the same and I think that's the case with me and Ironman Melbourne. I was going into it thinking this is something I haven't done before, so I I was uh, careful to uh, prepare well and I was also unsure about what to expect in terms of... um, times and and capacity and so on but I went in and felt like I trained well Uh, about uh, six days before I had a slight bike accident when another bike rider pulled in front of me and I came off and that took me off the bike for Mm. um, and off exercise for three days but actually I think it gave me a really good rest so so I went into the race um, feeling good and I did the I did a swim that, that I haven't uh, – I did a swim in 103 um, and half the time I think I was drafting behind just one particular bloke for almost half the race and I haven't done as good a swim since. I think I need to work out what I was doing then and get back to that. Yeah. And then on the bike I just got out there and the Melbourne course is just a lovely bike course on the, the best road – that I've ever been on for any triathlon because it's on the on the southeast and on on, on the, uh, the, the 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 freeway from Frankston up to Ringwood in Melbourne, and so I just uh, started conservatively, but was able to uh, build the pace through the through the ride. And some of my friends were following my splits on 
on the Ironman tracker and saying, oh, Darren, you're going too fast. You're going to cook yourself. <laughs> but, I, but, you know, but I managed to just keep, keep going and, and came in uh, pleasingly under five hours. And I realized that with the hour swim and the five-hour bike ride, I was, you know, about six hours into the event and um, heading out on the run. And I'd had this, you know, you know, before events and you go through your different times and you think, oh, maybe if I could do this, this and this and everything comes together, I might be able to come under 10 hours. But more likely I was thinking I was aiming for under 11 hours. Yeah. But with a marathon, uh, half of the marathon I ran with a friend from my uh, club, uh, Jared, and finished the marathon in 3.47. That was a PB marathon for me to date, uh, uh, yeah. faster than my standalone marathons. And I came in under 10 hours and I was just wrapped with the day. The day seemed to come together well. It was a hard day uh, and it was getting hot towards the end, but I didn't feel like I had any major obstacles I had to overcome. The nutrition worked well. You know, my swim and my bike and my run all worked well and it just was a good day. So what do you do for nutrition? Well, uh, more recently I found infinite nutrition and uh, uh, my nutrition in the bottle that I use on the bike. Hmm. And uh, but, but back in Ironman Melbourne, I just went with a gel and a bar each hour and sports drink and then a, a gel every 25 minutes on the run. Nice. Okay, so you ticked off your first, um, first Ironman, had a killer of a day is your mindset then automatically switched to right now i want to try to qualify for kona or is it right i want to, <laughs> want to just get out there and do this again yeah well a bit of both john i did go to the roll down ceremony and there was three ladies from our club who qualified for kona that year and so it was terrific to be able to cheer them on but then as the roll down was happening and i looked at the different uh the, the times people were getting and I think I came about 17th in my age group that year and it rolled down to about 13 or 14 and as it was rolling down I thought that this could roll down to me but it's it's going to be a bit of a stretch but as it turned out I was about 20 minutes off qualifying but I realized that when I go up an age group which was happening the year after if I was in if I had been in that age group for Melbourne then I would have been just three minutes off qualifying mm. So that, that showed me with some work and some training and, and uh, if I could bring a race together in, in the same way that I was within Kui of qualifying. So I did think, yep, yeah. what can I do next year to qualify and aim for Kona? Cool. So at that time, uh, Melbourne, I think, was in March sort of time. You obviously um, you had over a year to get yourself ready for, for Cairns where you did qualify. How did you structure that year in terms of um, being the best? You know, you did ultimately you did qualify, but how did you sort of break the year up? Was it try training, um, you know, 12 months a year or did you go for a particular bike focus or run focus? How did you sort of map out your year to be peaking for um, the following June? I went for a run focus because when I looked at my swim, bike and run times in Melbourne, I realised that relative to other people who swam and biked for the same time, my run was 20 or 30 minutes slower. So I realised that was where I probably had the most room for improvement. So I focused on the running, got some sharper 5-minute and 10-minute, 15-minute, uh, sorry, 5K, 10K and 15K times. Uh, I 
got some race practice in with another couple of uh, half Ironman events. And I actually, I'd enrolled in, I'd registered for Ironman Melbourne, but when that uh, when that was cancelled, oh, yeah. I, I talked to my coach and said, where will we go? And, and we actually changed my, my registration to Port Macquarie. But then later, early in the year, I realised that if I changed again from Port Macquarie to Cairns, I'd have a little bit more time in training and I could race a 70.3 at Port Macquarie. And I had my eye uh, also on qualifying for the 70.3 World Championships in the Gold Coast. Mm, mm. So I thought if I did Port 70.3 and Cairns full, uh, that could be a good lead in as well as aiming to qualify for Gold Coast and or Kona. When you, when you say you had a run focus, what what did that sort of mean? You said you did you know five k, ten k, fifteen k races and stuff. But what what did, what does sort of a typical week look like for you when you were um, sort of in a run focus phase? Well, I was still uh, swim squatting uh, or doing my own swim on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I was still riding on uh, Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Sometimes a hills focused ride or a speed focused ride and still doing my long ride on Saturday but I was adding in uh, maybe a couple of more runs so we do a, a, a speed session on Tuesday night with uh, Anthony DiCostello our run coach and I do a tempo or hill session on Thursday night with my coach Andrew Howes and a friend Ben um, and then do my long run on Sunday but we were sometimes adding in an extra midweek uh, medium to long distance run on the Wednesday or a double run on the Sunday afternoon after the long run. Mm. And just focusing on doing some extra uh, run races and some park runs in there and mm. and some hill work and some work on uh, form and skills and so on. So it was a case of trying to get faster rather than going ballistic and doing um you know 100 mile weeks or anything like that that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, so right. i did there were some weeks where i did build up the k's you know to 80 or 90 but uh the focus was on building some speed and some uh, and some endurance cool and then um so you obviously had a bit of a run focus you know how far out do you then switch that into try focus for people so people that are listening you know um ironman kens is in uh start of june normally around about there and the australian season you know sort of runs from i guess october onwards so i guess it's it's a challenge for you guys when you've got all of summer um, i know it's almost like an endless summer for you maybe not so much in melbourne but uh in other parts of australia it's always pretty favorable for training but how did you structure that so so, you know, you had your summer racing or, or whatever you did in summer and then you, you you tried not to peak too early in terms of being ready for June. Yeah, the, the run focus was more the year before in 2015 mm-hmm. and then in 2016 I did uh, half Ironman in Geelong um, and over January, February I was focusing, all, I was trying to really get my swimming ready to be race ready as well. I uh, did a lot of open water swimming and Actually, early in January, I spent some time down at uh, at the coast in Wilson's Prom in Victoria, and it's a lovely camping spot. We go there for a fam as a family holiday uh, regularly, and and I spent a lot of time just doing some long rides and open water swimming most days down there. So that really helped me get to the point where I've probably been. uh, I did my best 
uh, Ironman or, or half Ironman swim at Geelong uh, late January on the back of that uh, open water swimming practice. Mm. And then I was really into uh, long, going long distance training for, for Ironman from, through, from February through to June for Cairns. And then it continued as I had a bit of a break but then got ready for Kona. So it was a pretty full year, really, 2016. In terms of total hours per week, um, you know, roughly what, what were you sort of kicking yeah, out uh, mostly? 15 to, 20, 15 to 22 is my normal training plan, my normal, normal training hours. Cool. And so you, you obviously went to um, Cairns and qualified. Um, how did it differ, differ from, um, from Melbourne when your mindset is, you know, you're going out there to do the best you can, you don't really know what you're getting yourself in for. Second time round, you know, you've probably got a bit of confidence from Melbourne, which can sometimes be a, uh, a good or a bad thing. Um, did the race go to plan or, or was it a bit more of a fight out there? Yeah, it was a different race. I'd say it was a tougher race. Uh, at uh, Port Macquarie six weeks before I'd crashed my bike, mm. um, which was, uh, as I crashed, I thought, well, this is a, a quick but difficult way of getting a new bike, Darren. Um, <laughs> this is the first thought that went through my mind. Um, but a, a, a rider in front of me um, fell out under, it hit some, when it was raining, we went around a corner and a rider in front of me fell down and so to avoid running over his head, I also slid out and hit the curve. So I cracked the forks and cracked my bike. So I had to get a new bike. Uh, and so I was riding on a new bike. Uh, I was uh, taking it conservatively in the swim just to get through that and, and be ready with lots of energy for the bike and the run. And the, it was just, it was an ex, again an exhilarating day. It was a day that was a mixture of, it started uh, rather rough in the water and stormy on the ride, and then it got very hot on the run. And I think more than any other run in any triathlon before or since, I think I struggled from about uh, one kilometre in until about 41 kilometres. Oh. Uh, or one kilometre to go, so it was a it was a difficult run off the bike um, because of the heat, and I think I pushed myself uh, and perhaps made some pacing mistakes on the bike. Uh, and I'd also I've since had a, my original bike fit on that new bike adjusted, and I think I've got a bit of bike fit now. So uh, in 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 Taupo and other races earlier this year, I've I've managed to run off the bike much better. So it wasn't quite dialed in for me. Um, for, for the marathon but i managed to finish again under 10 hours 957 um it was a pb for the marathon it was a little bit slower than melbourne but i consoled myself when i looked at my position I, so i think although it was slower i realized that different courses mm. uh you know you can't compare times from one course to another all the time and that certainly was the case there because my position was much more further down in my age group even though it was a bit slower overall Nice. So you, in, in terms of when you're going out there and racing, you said you, um, you know, your pacing maybe wasn't quite right. So how do you pace yourself in both training and racing? Are you using power, um, heart rate monitor, or just sort of perceived effort? Yeah, for, on the bike, I use mainly uh, power and perceived effort. Mm. And on the day in Cairns, I think I was using power, but I was perhaps uh, 
uh, over ambitious about what power I was capable of, of, of coming up with. Yeah. And so I was going off. I think earlier in the year I had done a um, functional uh, threshold power measurement and I came in at 260 watts. But I think with my crash in Port Macquarie and the training leading into Cairns that had dropped off a bit, I wasn't quite at that same level, even though I was kind of ambitiously thinking I might have been. So I, so I was I was going off the wrong figures, I think. And it was it was different too because uh, it was a hilly course um, and it got quite lonely towards the end, and and it was it was uh, hotter than I expected, um, and I had a. Uh, aero helmet that perhaps wasn't the best for hot conditions, you know. So I've, I've I use that same aero helmet in Taupo, but I used a, a much you know cooler and more appropriate one for hot conditions when I was in Kona. Nice, cool. So um, I guess then you, then you roll off to Kona, and uh, did it meet all your expectations? You know, was it as hard as you thought it was going to be? Was it harder? And uh, and how did the race go? <laughs> Uh, it certainly exceeded my expectations in terms of just being a, a thrilling event to be part of. It was amazing to line up with uh, that many swimmers at the swim start and to just experience the whole course. The, I mean, there's 5,000 volunteers there that are kind of helping, you know, the, the day function well, and that was just amazing. Um, my, my, uh, one of the first volunteers I especially appreciated, halfway through the swim, my, my goggles broke. And in exasperation, I looked up and threw them away. And one of the lifeguards says, said, are you all right? I said, yeah, but my goggles are broken. I have to keep swimming. And she said, well, would you like mine? Oh, and nice. so she kind of donated her goggles to the cause. Oh. Um, you know, her, her neighbour then, uh, the, the, the lifeguard next to her ended up being my masseur that night. And she said, interestingly, none of us brought goggles except for that, except for that girl from one of the neighbouring islands because she didn't know what equipment she'd need. Oh, wow. So it was just it was just an overwhelming experience of camaraderie with other athletes and support from uh, the, the the volunteers and my uh, number of my family were over there to cheer me on. So it was just a thrill to share it with them. Mm. So I guess you know you, you sound like you've got a really good coaching set up there with Andrew and um, and with your club. But you know what do you think makes the difference between you making this pretty quick progression to Kona qualifying in, in only a matter of years as opposed to maybe what you see other people sort of struggling away. You must have some natural talent, obviously, but um, what else is there in there that, um, that you know, thinks that gives you a bit of an edge and, um, and that perhaps other people can learn from? I think I, think I have tapped into some natural talent. I've, as I said before, I didn't ever, in high school, I never thought I was much good at any sport, but it seems that I've got some capacity for endurance sport and just uh, keeping and go- keeping on going and not slowing down. And I've, I've kind of developed that too with uh, specific training. So, for example, what, one of my favourite uh, bike ride and run training is on a local boulevard in Melbourne called the Yarra Boulevard or the Q Boulevard. And uh, or basically I can just do laps backwards and forwards on either a flat or a hilly course without stopping for traffic lights or anything like that. So training it um, at or just below or just above race paces is a regular part of my training for on the bike. Um, that's helpful too for hill training for run. So uh, some friends told me that Taupo uh, was a course that you might think 
is a flat run course, but it actually has some rolling hills. So I made sure leading into Taupo that I did a fair bit of hill training with my running on on Q Boulevard just to get ready for that. And then when the hills came in in Taupo, I was just able to roll up and over them and 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 kind of pick up speed on the downhill. Nice. What about your, your mindset when you're out there racing? Because um, you know, I often preach um, you know, what I work through is, is very much process-driven and uh, when, the, when the going gets tough, I sort of have, you know, basically start working through my processes, you know, checking my technique, checking my nutrition, setting myself a little goal, um, checking out the next landmark, et cetera, et cetera. So what is it, you know, when you're getting into, into a tricky situation, whether it be on the bike or the run, um, what, do you, what do you sort of focus on to try to uh, keep you on task? I do focus on maximising the best, the most that I can do for that 30-second period. So I kind of try and stop myself thinking too far ahead in the event and just think, well, what can I do now to make the next 30 seconds the best that it can be? Uh, not necessarily the fastest or the strongest, but, you know, the best that it can be to um, be consistent in that 30 seconds but also keep myself uh, ready and strong for the next 30 seconds and the next three hours and so on. Mm. Um, I, I practiced that in Taupo on the swim because, unfortunately, I'd misjudged where the entry was. And so when they uh, when the pros went off and then they called the age group athletes through, I was pretty far away from the entrance. So by the time I did get through the gate and into the water, I didn't have as much time for warm-up. And it was still a bit dark and there were lots of swimmers around. And I, I looked out to the boy and I thought, well, I'll, I'll swim out to there and back again for a warm-up. But I just had... A, a panic response and I just thought I just don't want to do that and it was only three minutes or four minutes to the race start and I thought oh well I better just get over to the race start and warm up on on the in the race um and so I did that and thinking well how can I make the most of this first 30 seconds and I just went out um following my coach's advice and the race plan went out steady and uh, just kind of tried to pick up the pace as I went along but I'd had a another bike crash two two weeks before this event as well um and and that took me off uh the bike for a week and off running for a week and out of the water for almost almost up to the uh the time when i was in taupo and uh the scars had healed up but i i'd still had a inflamed shoulder so i just really didn't have a lot of power in my left arm and that meant i was drifting off to the left but also just couldn't pick up the pace or the speed so i know there's some horror stories about how people experience the windy waves but i was more preoccupied with um whether i was ever going to get around um mm. the swim course with you know with my arms still being able to work <laughs> so but i just thought well this is you know uh, lots of triathletes uh, a lot of the time have do you know we do have struggles with uh injury and illness and i to date, haven't had um, kind of debilitating injury, but this was, is the first challenging injury I've had to overcome. And I just thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll see this as an exercise in patience, in not pushing myself too hard, um, even if I could have, and, and an exercise in perseverance just to get around on the swim and then do my best on the bike and the run when I get there. Fantastic. Um and just, I, I can't remember if Kona last year was a windy day or not, um, but I know it was windy in Taupo, and if it was windy or you experienced some wind in Kona, maybe for maybe contrast those conditions compared to, compared to what you experienced in Kona in terms of the, the wind factor. 
It is a contra- was quite a contrast. Uh, in Kona, I went out for a practice ride the week before and had a really windy day. I talked to some of the other athletes who were out there and they said, no, this is windier than it was the year before. Uh, and it was quite scary for me. I haven't um, I, I haven't been much of a bike rider um, by background. Um, and so my bike skills, uh, you know, are, are, are things that I need to develop. And so I quickly asked for some advice around there and from my uh, bike mechanic and coach back home and realised, worked out some strategies in terms of putting my weight on the handlebars and my pedals and um, going with the flow of the wind. And so I got to the point where I was actually enjoying that experience of uh, flowing with the wind rather than fighting it in Kona. But fortunately on the morning, uh, the wind wasn't as much as it is some years. In fact, um, the the strong wind didn't hit me until about 20 or 30 minutes out from uh, T2, so on, on my way back. I thought I was about 20 minutes from finishing the bike and went, then when the wind hit, it ended up being about 30 minutes. So I did experience the, the, the you know, the, the challenges of the wind, but it really wasn't until the end of the course. Yeah. But Taupo was quite different. You know, basically it was just a thrill of a ride going out um, to Roparua, uh, a whole heap of, um, you know, the, 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 with, with the slight downhill and the wind behind me and the kind of fresh energy coming off the swim, it was just uh, – I've done my fastest ever 40-kilometre ride that day <laughs> on the first first leg out. Um, but then turning around was pretty much facing a headwind all the way back on both return legs. So I must say um, – I would say Taupo was – more challenging in terms of the wind than Kona was. And I think Clayton, I heard Clayton Fattel say that it was his hardest bike course that he's experienced, just as I heard Cameron had said that the swim was the hardest in Taupo that he'd ever experienced. Uh, nice. So what's your plan now? You know, you've experienced Kona. Um, you've had some great races. Uh, where to from now? Well, I've got three goals in terms of my uh triathlons and that's to enjoy exhilarating training and events with uh, good friends and uh, secondly to, to consistently train to increase speed strength and endurance and thirdly to see how fast I can go in including aiming for a sub three marathon and perhaps a sub 930 or, or faster Ironman and a sub 10 Kona last year with the marathon blowing out I finished in 10.58 with a um, much slower and more of um, a struggle on the run. So I kind of feel like I've got some unfinished business there in terms of just working out how to actually conquer uh, the beast and the heat and the uh, hydration and nutrition challenges of Kona. Mm. So for me, that's in the – it's always a – I'm, I'm kind of aiming to build – my capacity over the next three to five years, not just over the next one to 12 months, but for the next 15 months or so, uh, I've broken that up into three different phases. Um, For the next four months, I'm going to actually cut back on the bike focus and focus on developing my swim form and speed and really get some going there so I can get closer to an hour for an Ironman swim. And I'm going to do a marathon in uh, four months. So I'm going to put it, give a, another real focus to my run to really pick that speed up. Nice. 
Oh, it sounds like. And then after that, I'm going to shoot. I'd like to. I'd just love to shoot for the World Championships being in Australia and the Gold Coast next year for sprint and Olympic. I thought, well, that's a good chance just to try a different distance. And so I'm going to give a shot at qualifying for the Gold Coast. So I'll have to focus on some speed in in, uh, sprint and or Olympic distance. And my two, I've got three children and uh, my son does some running with me, but my two daughters are interested in doing the tri- triathlon course. So if they oh. if they do that later in this year, I'll kind of dial back and just focus on supporting them as well. Yeah. And, and how do you keep that family balance right? You know, that's often a real challenge, especially when you're doing, you know, up to 20 hours of training a week. How do you sort of uh, make all that fit? Yeah, that's a challenge that we're navigating. And I've, I must say I've got a... Um, terrific family and they're very supportive and I seek to support and, and nurture them as well. And so one of the things we're doing is we decided this year that I'd have a go at one Ironman but not try and do two. Uh, and so that's part of the the, the negotiation and the adjustment that, that, that that's going on. And one, one of the things that helps too is when they're involved so i really appreciate them being supportive and and sometimes putting making holidays around events but of course we don't want to just have holidays that are around events because that then it's just all about me so we're going to plan some holidays that are around uh the interests of other members of the family as well and it's just lovely to be able to share the sport with them too so with my son taking an interest in running and the girls exploring interest in triathlons that'll just make it that much easier and and better fun for us as family fantastic so if anybody wants to follow on your journey do you do anything um you know any social media or anything like that or is there anybody any way that they can uh, see what you're up to yeah look me up on facebook that'd be and and i regularly uh post results and photos on that uh, on uh, Darren Cronshaw Facebook page. Fantastic. Awesome. Okay, well, we look forward to following your progress and see you back in Kona one day and uh, crushing all those times, getting your sub three-hour marathon and, and uh, yeah, kicking some butt and hopefully making that team for the Gold Coast. I know it will be um, a pretty highly hard fight to get into the Aussie team for Gold Coast. So uh, good luck with that. Thanks so much, John. All the best with IM Talk sponsor and let's talk about xendurance.com xendurance it's funny because when they first started sponsoring us there were some little small you know really kind of small little business and it's just become this huge huge business it's got a big presence in the crossfit world obviously a big presence in our world and i've got a big big line of products nowadays and one thing you can do when you go to Athlinks oh sorry not Athlinks xendurance.com is you can look to get their bundles so you, let's say you want to get you know some creatine some fuel 5 and some protein or xendurance um, the fuel 5 and some creatine or your mega um, joint 4 immune boost and xendurance if you buy in bulk and you get the bundles you can save yourself some money on this so it's just a good way if you know you're using more than just the one product you can bundle them all together to save yourself a, a you know a little bit of money in the, the packages that they have and they've kind of put some packages together 
that really are designed for different things. So for example, they have one called Train, which is Protein, Fuel 5, and Extreme Endurance. They have one called Compete, which is Protein, Fuel 5, Creatine, and Extreme Endurance. And then they have one for Immunity, which is Immune Boost, Omega, and Extreme Endurance. And then they have the Triumph, which is pretty much all of their products. And if you bundle these and you get them all, then uh, you know, that way you can kind of save yourself a little bit of money there. The other thing is as well is if you're in the US, now we know not everybody's in the US, but and if you're in the US and you spend over $100, you get free shopping for your order. Now I'm not quite sure what the story is in other countries, so you may want to check that out before you buy, but you know, it's, you know know if you can get that, by all means, jump on it. X-Endurance is a product that, especially Extreme Endurance, we've had lots of people come back to us and say they're a bit skeptical when they first heard about it, but actually once they started trying it, they're finding it makes a big difference to what they're doing with their training. So if you are looking for just that little bit of edge in your training, check out xendurance.com and you can grab one of those bundles. Okay, we're going to be talking about our winger of the week. And this week's winger of the week, I went on random.org and I had a look at... Uh, pulled up a number and this week it came up to the slippery the most swim time the super slippery person and this week we got mark bailey from the uk he had three swims he did three hours and 54 minutes in his three swims we got paul yoder he did four swims in 349 and then michael dylan did four swims of 330 and then on the girl sides we had melissa yuri and she did uh 302 and then we have jennifer moore she did 158 and we had joe comb and she did 150 57. Those are this week's wangers of the week. If you want to be a wanger of the week, make sure you're part of our our Strava training group because that way you can see you know who who's doing the most. I gotta say, doing the least training this week, good old Soren Hill, eight minutes. <laughs> Soren, you need to sharpen up. <laughs> uh, if you need to be doing some some better training out there. So there, there you go. The wanger of the week, just go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all very obvious on the website. So before we wrap it up, I just want to quickly talk about some of the patrons of the show. And as John was saying at the beginning of today's show, the people who we're talking about as patrons today have been long-time patrons of the show before we kind of even had our patronage system. So these people have just always wanted to support the show and what we're doing. So just going to say, you know, thank you so much for these people because they are really kind of, you know, obviously really love what we're doing and have been a big part of what we do in the long term. You know, we've been going 10 years and... Let's be honest, this show is not a profit maker for John and I, but you know, the support the patrons give us really helps us to kind of just put good time and energy into making the show work. So, first of all, Paul, two wheeled predator monk. We've got Adam Big Snooze Bardsley. We've got uh, Paul Swindler Tuck. We've got Catherine the Terrier Floodquest. We've got James Goddick the Savior. So, if you want to become a patron of the show and like those people who have supported us for such a long time and also to all the other patrons, just go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all very obvious from the website. Well, that's quick sponsors, athlinks.com, Extreme Endurance, and our patrons. But team, it's it's pretty much today's show. John, I'm actually now the next morning after from when we started the show. It's five in the morning and I'm about to go for a run and do a teacher spin class. And uh, I'm, I'm training to do, I think I might do the Sydney Marathon and uh, I'm, it's really funny because I'm taking this really slow building approach. And so this week I'm doing an hour 15 runs, my longest run. I'm only doing three runs a week at the moment. I'm keeping things very conservative. No intensity at all. No pace work. It's just conditioning runs. It's funny because I have to remind myself not to go hard. Uh, for example, I was in a place called Oha on Friday morning. And I was doing some work there. And it's this beautiful kind of ski 
place, but it's a very basic ski place. So you think it's not a ski resort by no means. It's literally a place you can go skiing and there's one hostel there and kind of think 70s hostel. So it's pretty basic. But I had to leave at like 7.30 that morning. So I thought I'll wake up and I'll go for a run in the morning. And I have to say, it was, you know, sometimes you do a run that's just a bit special. And what I mean by that is that the location is special. Maybe the time of day is a bit special. And this is what this Ohau run was for me. I woke up at five in the morning got outside, the sky was clear and there was no light pollution. So often when you're in, you know, running in the city or running in areas where there's lots of light, you you don't really see the full extent of the stars out there. Whereas in Oha, it is crystal clear, no light pollution at all. And so I was just covered, or the sky was covered with just so many stars. And while I'm running down the road, I didn't have a street light, luckily. Luckily, the sky was so light that I could see my footing pretty well. But I'm running down the road. The stars above me are phenomenal. I've got this beautiful lake beside me and mountains outside of the lake. So it was just one of those runs which, I know, I put some music on and you just kind of one of those runs where you go, take a snapshot of this memory inside yourself because this is a run you'll keep with you forever. And and I had some cool music on. I was listening to some really awesome music and I just wanted to go fast. But within my program right now, my objective is not to go fast. It's about building just a nice kind of good foundation that I can add speed to and later on. And it's funny how, especially people who have kind of been exercising for a long time, like like all of us, I suppose, that at times you just want to move towards intensity and for me, I had to remind myself, no Bev, pull back, relax, the objective of the session is just to get time on feet and to build a foundation, it's kind of where my running is right now, and I've been running like that for about a month, and it's probably going to be another month before I start to get a little bit longer, you know, over 90 minutes of running, and also starting to add basic intensity in, so I'm just taking a real long term approach, because in the past I tend to get a little bit injured once I start to increase load and intensity, so I'm thinking that if I can build a better foundation, you know, as a, as I'm becoming closer to 40 and maybe a bit more of an aging athlete, these are things I need to think about. So maybe you can think of what your most beautiful run is, you know, the, you know those runs or those bikes where you have where you go, you know what, I'm so lucky to be here right now. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my memory from this week. Anyway guys, we'll be back into the show next week. Um, Hopefully we'll have a cool interview for you guys and we'll also just be back into the studio. So I'm Russ, I'm Andone, train hard, train smart. Kia kaha.